Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is side B of a Parrothead Mixtape, where we curate a collection of personal favorites honoring the legacy of Jimmy Buffett. Hopefully you tuned in to side A that dropped two weeks ago. Um, I mean, you don't have to. You can start here. But uh, we, we, we've, been, we've been drinking a little bit. So yeah, we have. Uh, if, if there's a little bit of slurring or, or stuff that doesn't make sense, uh, that may be the culprit. But um, uh, we're here on, on Labor Day, um, 2023. Um, the news of, of Buffett's passing on Saturday um, has, has rocked um, music lovers and, and paired heads. And we wanted to pay tribute, um, and so we made sure this season's Artist Spotlight was about one of our, uh, quote, uncles, and um, and we've had an, a, a good time this morning reminiscing about a lot. We have, yeah. Um, the first first Side Side A, part one of the, the two-part episode, ran, ran long, um, but if you are a Jimmy Buffett fan, no doubt uh, that was perfectly okay with you. Um, if you're not a Jimmy Buffett fan, we hope that you stuck with us. We hope that you are back for side side B here. Um, but yeah, we we're enjoying the margaritas. We are reminiscing, and we are, you know, documenting the the life and legacy of one of one of our favorites. So, um, my pick to start your, your pick. All let's, right, let's get going. Okay, so I went with for my first pick on side B, Last Mango in Paris from the album Last Mango in Paris. I went down to Captain Tony's To get out of the heat When I heard a voice call out to me Son, come have a seat I had to search my memory As I looked into those eyes My life's changed like the weather But a legend never dies He said I ate the last Took the last plane out of Saigon Took the first passport to China And Jimmy, there's still so much to be done Surprisingly, this bouncy pop song didn't make the box set. Yeah, I'm, It shocks me. There, there are a few that I'm really kind of surprised. I, mean, I know you can't include them all, but this is no. such a such an appealing song. Well, he didn't include a lot from Last Mango in Paris. It's right. it's really an album that was kind of neglected on the box set. Yeah, right. Um, there, there are a few albums that You have Gypsies like in the that. Palace. You have um, oh, Jollymon's on the two, right? Yeah, Jollymon. Well, um, Jollymon's on the box set, though. Oh, that's true. No, yeah, but I'm just thinking is, about all the songs. But oh, you're right. Yeah. Honey, Honeydew, is that also on no, Last Mango? Yeah, it's on, it's on Last Mango. Yeah, but, but didn't make the box set. Did not make yeah, the box set. So there are a lot of really good, yeah. good tunes. 
Uh, actually, on, on Feeding Frenzy, there are a lot from Last Mango that didn't make the box set. Yeah, well, I think Feeding Frenzy was the Last that Mango tour. tour. Yeah, yeah. Been, right? yeah, I think so. Well, this song is about Tony, is it uh, Terracino, am I pronouncing that right? Yep. Uh, who is the owner of Captain Tony's Saloon in Key West, and later the mayor. Um, well, this is not really a story song, because last week I, I, I separated Buffett's contributions uh, into three categories, story songs, um, party songs, and reflective slash descriptive songs. And so this isn't really a story song in and of itself, but it celebrates stories. Um, that we all share with one another, uh, even if they're sometimes taller tales, right? And so even though we don't actually hear Captain Tony's stories directly, Buffett throws us these hinting nuggets that really make the listener's imagination just run away. Yeah. And so I mentioned last week, it's kind of an update of, of He Went to Paris, uh, an up-tempo update, because he's talking about this, this guy that runs Captain Tony's and um, who over the years told him many stories of, of his past and the adventures he'd been, been through. And so the, just the illusions of these stories give it, give it a depth, very similar to like fantasy works, right? That'll, that'll, that'll reference things that have happened in the past to give it a sense of depth but you don't really ever find out what those stories about unless you go ahead and make prequels, right? Um, that's what I feel like when I hear this song. Yeah. He doesn't go into great detail about any one thing, um, but just the, the combination of, of places and, you know, themes, it, it's it's really, I don't know, it's it's a fun song to sing along to, that, that much is certain. Um, and Captain Tony, I I've still have never been to Key West, and Gail and I are talking about we talk about a trip every year to Key West, and we end up going somewhere else. But um, Captain Tony is man. The first first step I take into Key West, I am sitting down at Captain Tony's and enjoying a beer. That's that's. I've been there. Yeah, I've been to Key West. I've been to Captain Tony's. Um, it, it, this was ninety, probably ninety three, ninety four, and it was cool. Like the, it still looks like a dive. Uh, the clientele, the decor. Everything about Captain Tony's feels like what Captain Tony's would, would be like based on what, what you've heard. The only thing that was a little disconcerting, um, somewhat of, I guess, an anachronism, was at least the day I was there, there was a singer-songwriter, you know, probably some college kid making some extra money, um, performing the live entertainment for the evening. And it was basically all Buffett, you know? And so I guess when I go to Captain Tony's, I want to feel like I'm actually in Captain Tony's, right. right? So hearing Buffett kind of takes you out of it because it kind of reveals the world that you're t- trying to escape into. Yeah, I could see that. You know, so if they were just playing like these these kind of either country numbers or, or other types of music from the 70s that would have been popular would have kind of helped me immerse myself even more. Um, so that was the only commercial element to where I kind of felt out of place. But nothing else was commercial. It wasn't like, at least at the time, it might be different now. Hmm. But it didn't feel like the owner... Um, w- tried to capitalize on the success of the song by 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 slapping on a bunch of, you know, um, elements that would allow him to to commercialize on that success. Huh. Yeah, no, I I don't know. It, it's I'm really excited to go. In fact, my cousins, uh, my first cousins on my dad's side, we we were talking at one point about doing a Key West trip the next time Jimmy performed oh, in yeah. Key West, going down and seeing him there. Of course, that's now not going to happen. But um, I, I don't know. My my cousin Frank uh, kind of texted me in tears when she learned about uh, Jimmy on on Sunday morning, and I uh, 
or Saturday, Saturday, Saturday morning. morning yeah. Um, and I, I basically said, well, we can still do a Key West trip in memoriam, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Part of, part of the mystique, it's, it's much the same as like Springsteen. I've, I've never been to the Jersey shore. But someday I want to go and explore, you know. Well, are you referring to the Jersey Shore uh, outside New York and northern New Jersey? Or are you talking about well, I'm, South Jersey where I go, which is a completely different... Well, uh, I'm, I'm talking Asbury Park and... That's that's know, northern Jersey, I'm, and that's cool. I'm talking about Springsteen's that's the, Jersey. That's, yeah, that's the Springsteen stuff. Uh, yeah. But, but the, the South Jersey's a, a lot different. I've heard that, yeah. I, I'd just like to see the Jersey sure, Shore, yeah, yeah. quite frankly. It doesn't matter to me where I am, but I don't, I don't know. All of these artists that I revere, you know, it's it's just a dream of mine to go to all the landmarks. No, yeah, yeah that makes like, sense. Like, you know, I've done New York. I've done the Village Joel thing. I've walked down Mulberry Street, you know, I... I well, you Whatever, know what? The Stone Pony is still alive and well, and lots of great acts go through the Stone Pony. Right. So what we should do sometime is find an act that's playing there that we dig, and we should take a trip. Let's do it. Um, and in fact, when we go out there, um, one time I went out, and I, I found his childhood home, the school he went to, all those different landmarks. Yeah, I, I love that kind yeah. of thing. You know, I um, I don't know. That, that was some of the trips that I've taken, like to Memphis and to Boston and to, I, I, I don't know, I, I've... I've always kind of done a musical journey, you know, whenever I'm on vacation anywhere. I find a band or an artist that I, I, I really appreciate and I just kind of walk in their footsteps. And But yeah, I um, love to do Jersey and man, Key West. I, I just, I, I have to live the Buffett lifestyle for a two week getaway at some point. Well, I've life. only been there once and I was only there for, for a day. Um, but I would recommend doing it the way I did it just simply because that's I had such a such an experience and that, and that is um, if you're going to fly down or, or drive down I can imagine driving to Florida ever again but I've, I've done it if you were to drive <laughs> or fly um, I left out of Miami uh, and, and drove to Key West from Miami and it was it was in the evening it wasn't planned that way but when you go through that kind of string of islands it's connected by of course there's a, there's a newer road now but the older one's still out there and, and you can see but it um you know, just the, the position of the sun and the amount of water and the colors and, and and the islands that you can see ahead, it's just magical. I almost chose uh, First Look was one of the songs that I wanted to choose just because that song was playing when I was driving down. And that was my first look oh, of, wow. of, of the keys. And, you know, we stopped in Marathon Key and did a little snorkeling, which was fun. But when we got into Key West, like I said, we only had really one night there. Um, we walked down to the southernmost part of the United States, which you know is is, is something you should see. Uh, Hemingway's house. We we walked down there. Um, the sunset. We got to see the sunset at the beach because it's a big party every night. Right. Uh, there, there's a man who who trains cats to do tricks. I've heard that. Um, yeah. There's just it's just in the downtown. It just dive after dive, and I say that you know with affection. Um, and Sloppy Joe's and Captain Tony's, and, and, and of course there are some touristy things, but it really is it, the whole vibe of the town. At least when I was there almost thirty years ago, uh, was everything that Buffett said it would be like. Well, I'm holding out hope that when I do go, that I'm going to find that the that nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that, that in my mind, Key West is a place that is timeless. That, that it just, but I don't know how realistic that expectation is so i think i think you i mean sure anything can change a lot in 30 years but from the people that that i've talked to that still go down there periodically say that it hasn't changed so good yep but i i just you mentioned this last episode buffett story story is king with buffett really oh yeah 
And as much as he, he can turn a, a, a great literary turn of phrase, um, uh, does that a lot actually. But it's it story is just his strength, um, and he, you can tell he loves stories. He loves fiction. Um, what's the is it Barefoot Children where he says fiction over fact? fact. Always, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like 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 he. I like both. You know, I'm a nonfiction and fiction guy, but you can just tell he's not going to waste his time reading too much realism. Right. Um, it's all about the escapism of, oh, of yeah. literature and, and any character. He's a huge Carl Hyacin fan. I haven't read Carl Hyacin. My father-in-law loved him. Uh, but Carl Hyacin wrote a lot of these books. In fact, Joe Merchant is, is very much in the same vein as a Carl Hyacin book. And then Buffett would later go on to produce one of Hyacin's um, books uh, into a movie called Hoot. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. So there's that part of him that, and, and there's another Hyacinth book that Matthew McConaughey, they always change the name in, in, in the, for the film version, hmm. but it starred Matthew McConaughey, Sahara maybe it was called, I think that was based on a Hyacinth book. I'm not sure because know. there's kind of this genre of literature that, that is very film noir, not in tone, but in, in, in structure, where you have somebody like a Frank Bama who's this kind of character that's, uh, worldly and, and had all these adventures, an Indiana Jones kind of kind of adventurer, who then ends up encountering all sorts of of craziness, and um, and Buffett loves that type of story, and it and it comes out in yeah. the songs. Well, and oh, it definitely comes. And that's out where in the Captain songs. Tony comes in. Yeah, uh, film noir. I mean, it's so th- there's a lot of reference in his song. I think of cliches from Havana Daydreaming. I mean, yeah. he he is, you know, he plays with every trope. You yeah. know, of, of noir, even pencil and mustache, song. where he talks about oh, the, yeah. the actors that portray these characters oh, in yeah. Hollywood. What a great song! Sure thing, yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, love pencil and mustache. Um, it, that likely would have been another song I would have included under a different context. You know, right? Doing an artist spotlight for for Jimmy Buffett, but all right, here's is, your pick. It is not on my list this time. My my songs really are in the same vein as side A, a lot of slow ones, and I begin this side. Our second part here today with arguably, um, well, it, it's one of his most loved. Um, the downside to Jimmy Buffett's musical lifestyle, of course, was the time he had to spend away from his family, right? And he, he wrote my next song for his future wife, Jane, who he was missing while on tour. Uh, he sang the first line headed out to San Francisco for the Labor Day weekend show. And he was talking about a specific concert in 1973 in San Francisco. I mean, this is his autobiographical. That's, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't hold back sometimes. He's no. just literally telling you yeah, he's, what, what, it's, what it is. You yeah, know, he's like sharing, it is. sharing his life. Right. Um, the, the single, of course, um, that I am speaking of is from the 1974 album Living and Dying in Three-Quarter Time, and the song title is Come Monday. Heading out to San Francisco For the Labor Day weekend show I got my hush puppies on I guess I never was meant for glitter rock and roll And honey, I didn't know That I'd be missing you so Come Monday, it'll be alright Come Monday, I'll be holding you tight I spent four lonely days in a brown early haze And I just want you back by my side This was actually Buffett's highest charted 
highest charting song until the release of Margarita. Which went to 12? Number eight. Eight, okay. Yeah, Margaritaville went to number eight. Come Monday, peaked at number 30. Um, The single version of this song actually replaced the third line. Uh, On the album, he sings, I've got my hush puppies on. Right. Uh, But the single version, I guess, um, says instead, I've got my uh, hiking shoes on. Well, that's not the version that was ever on Function by Heart. No, it's not. Um, the, huh, I've the never reason, heard that Yeah, I, I never have either. But the reason being is that some broadcast outlets, including the BBC, will not play songs with brand names in the lyrics. Hmm. It was something that actually forced an edit on the Kinks song Lola as well. Coca-Cola? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. So... Yeah. What else are you going to rhyme Lola with? Then? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that, that's why they went Cherry Cola. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, okay. Instead, okay. Of, yeah, yeah. instead gotcha. of Coca-Cola, gotcha. which was yeah, the original yeah. recording. Um, so, yeah, I've never heard the single edit with that with that alternate line, but uh, it, it exists, I, I guess, from what I've read. This is one of, uh, it was one of Buffett's most popular songs. It was one of the big eight that we talked about. The big eight refers to the eight songs that he always played live. Um, and it's it's pretty much track for track the, the songs from songs you know by heart, um, with with a few exceptions. I mean, he he sometimes would trade off. Let's see, but, Margaritaville. I'm going to try Margaritaville. Yep. Right. Uh, Changes in latitudes. Yep. Son of a son of a sailor. Uh-huh. Volcano. Yep. Fins. Yep. Pirate looks at forty. Yep. That's at seven. And what's what's the eighth? What I want? Uh, come Monday. Come be? Monday is seven, and number eight would be Cheeseburger and Paradise. Cheeseburger and Paradise, yep. yep. There you go. Those are the eight. He played every every uh, performance. So, um, Jane Slagsville, okay, uh, she was a model and University of South Carolina student. Uh, she was on spring break in Key West when she met Jimmy Buffett in a phone booth outside of the chart room bar in 1972. The following year, a smitten Buffett wrote this song about her. And in 1977, they got married. They they enjoyed a, a long, fruitful, very happy and content marriage. Um, that's one thing that you didn't hear a lot about. Jimmy Buffett kept his private life private. Mm-hmm, sure did. I mean, there are snippets. I mean, the songs he wrote were very personal, very biographical. He wrote biographical. several for his children. Yeah. Um, Little Miss Magic, Delaney Talks to Statues. But, and but, uh, False Echoes, yeah, you mentioned Cameron. Yeah. But he never, he never revealed... You know a lot of the goings on of his personal life within the context sure. of his. Of his it was autobiographical, his but to him and his kind of persona versus right. Yeah, and this he kept separate. It was sacred to him, but he and his wife they they were happy. I mean, there was never any. From what I've read, there was never any. You know, rough patches. So I thought he was, had been divorced and remarried. You're saying he he wasn't. I thought that it, he was with his. He might be. That, that just goes proves your point, right? Hmm. That we that we don't know a lot about his yeah. private life. I'll have to look that up. I mean, as opposed to Springsteen and Joel, which their private lives were very public. Oh yeah, their, well, their divorces and yeah, well, so forth. It's hard when you're, you know, marrying. But yeah, he had three children. He had uh, Savannah, Delaney, and and Cameron, all right. of which are either have a song um, named after them yeah. or mentioned in songs. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, but, you know, there was a video for this one, too, I guess. I've never seen it. Oh. Um, but uh, basically, um, Jane, his his wife, she starred in the, in the music video, uh, which featured the couple on a picnic outing, I guess. Uh, Buffett didn't have a budget for the video. So, <laughs> so Jane... <laughs> Nothing new there. Yeah, Jane uh, went without pay, and he used his real truck, which was later impounded and crushed at a junkyard, and he used his real boat in the clip as well. Uh, he he said um, 
on on Jimmy's world um, that uh, or Buffett's world. I forget what it's called, but it's on one of I think it's Buffett's world. Um, it's a website yes, where, yeah. where he shares right, like right, you right. know all of his notes on different different songs. He said there wasn't really much need in scripting the video. He said of the uh, he he said there was, this was where I lived, the people I lived with, and the girl who I wrote Come Monday about. So they just the video is just the two of them. I guess roaming around Key West and, and enjoying a picnic outing together. It's probably better than one particular harbor of fruitcakes. From, anyway. what, from what you've told me, yeah. Well, fruitcakes I've seen. Fruitcakes is, oh, good Lord. <laughs> fruitcake, fruitcakes is fun for all the wrong reasons. But um, yeah, now, this song, though, Come Monday, I mean, you have, you have a tickling electric piano and a, a, just a lush set of strings, you know, and, and they give way to one of Buffett's sweetest melodies. It, it's just a simple admission of, of the self. I mean, it's, it's clumsily romantic. I mean, he has phrases like I got my hush puppies on. I guess I was never meant for glitter rock and roll and honey, I didn't know I'd be missing you. So, I mean, it's just, it's very simple, very sentimental, very personal. Um, it's, it's just the way you are. It, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this one, you know, this one really hit home because I, after my wife, well, at the time, um, my fiance, after we were engaged, uh, I was still teaching in Bell Fountain, Ohio. She was a student at OU. And um, I mean, it was, it was a long distance relationship. And there were a lot of phone calls. There were a lot, at the time, AOL, you know, we, we both had AOL. You've and, got mail. Yeah. So we used to uh, message using AOL. And I remember the dial up, <laughs> uh, you know, dial up uh connection sometimes it did not work so you know there'd be nights sometimes several nights in a row where you know whatever for whatever reason i couldn't get the modem to to dial through um yeah it's it's long distance relationships are man they're they are hard you know especially when you're newly engaged and you're excited and you want to be with the person and you know life just you know throws a, a wedge in those plans so it's um i don't know i having lived this idea of wanting to be with someone, missing someone so badly, and just, you know, responsibility and obligation prevents that from happening. Uh, Come Monday was a song that I connected with very much at that time. Um, and I remember playing the song several times, uh, all the time, frankly, um, during those early years when we were newly engaged. It just felt like it, it had to be included here because it's it's a time that, you know, I remember as being so incredibly special, but also so incredibly frustrating, you know? Um, so that's, I mean, nothing, nothing no, yeah, out of the ordinary to explain. It's just, you know, I, I lived the song. And, and, and that's a track that his career could have taken. Um, kind of the more easy listening, mellow gold 70s oh, yeah. track. Uh, but he doesn't stop there, right? He has success with that, but then he, he goes on, as we already mentioned, and explores lots of different musical avenues. So he doesn't yep. just become a Gordon Lightfoot. Um, you know, he really expands beyond that. Right. No, it, it is, though. It's one of his most beautiful. And, you know, whenever he would perform it live, he would always introduce it by saying, this was the song that started it all. He'd thank the fans for being with him since, you know, the the first performance of come Monday on stage and it just you know when you're talking longevity this was the song that introduced him to a, a wider audience yep, yep, and yep. he it was pre-tropical Buffett I and mean, you know the the Caribbean influence was not readily apparent in his music 
yet. But the, the the coastal Key West was, but not right. the not the actual Parrot Head exactly. brand. Yeah, Parrot. Yeah, the Parrot Heads. That's post Margaritaville. Exactly. So now, plus, frankly, I, I don't know how you do a tribute to Jimmy Buffett and not include Come Monday. Right. So right. there you go. Excellent. All right, well, from that signature song, or one of his signature songs, to a more obscure song on my list, uh, Love and Luck. This was all, this was also on my short <laughs> right, list. Right. I um you know and I second guess myself still because I have no nothing upbeat here. But love and luck. First of all, it's only on the box set. Correct. It, it, you, you're not going to find it's it on one any of the eight, studio albums. Eight non-studio songs. Right. Yep. But it is just or non-album songs. It is just one of the happiest songs. Yes. I mean, it, it's just one of those songs that I turn on. And it's going to influence my. I, I'm, it's going to lift me. Yep. You know, uh, there are very few songs that can do. I, James Brown, I got you. I feel good. Or Jackie Wilson, your love keeps lifting me higher. Or Bob Bob Marley is you know three little birds. This is one of those songs, love and luck, that just I through the roof. I, I just I find myself smiling. I find myself bopping along. It's it is just one of his best. If you're looking to just enjoy the enjoy the day, you know. So I'm thrilled you included it. Well, I, I mean, I would love to know who the, who was in the marketing department in, in 1992 because whoever it was, maybe it was Warren Buffett, right? As you mentioned last week, um, it was brilliant because they started to realize in the 80s the amount of people were coming to his shows um, and, and selling out. Like in, in our own state of Ohio, Cincinnati was selling out two, three shows. Oh, yeah. And it became this big party. And they realized that there were a lot of people that had not been introduced to Buffett because he didn't have that that airplay, that, that airplay or airplay on MTV. And even though there was a, we talked about songs you know by heart, which had, had you know a handful of songs, to ask people to go back to a back catalog of 15 or whatever albums, 15 plus albums, it's a pretty big ask, especially when Spotify didn't exist. Right. Right? And so the box set thing was just kind of like Springsteen was one of the first um, his live box set, which came out in 86, I think. Yeah, it was 75 to 85 was the music. And then Dylan had one. And then, then more and more artists started doing this. And so what a brilliant way um, to market this. It, it, 
just just the fact that the the, the boat speeches, bars, and ballads really establish him just from the title of the box set alone. So somebody walking by in the store would see this. And it had four different photographs of, of Jimmy in these different locations. But then when you buy the box set, you have the, the four discs and they're, they're by category. But then the notes. This is one of the greatest booklets ever in a box set. Oh, yeah. And we're the kind of guys that we want to know the story behind the song. We want, we need some context if we're going to invest our lives into an artist. And for that summer, that was my Bible. Because I would learn these songs, and then I would go into the, the booklet, and I would read, you know, the paragraph or two about it. And not only did I learn about Buffett as the person, as an artist, but I was able to kind of take in. Like, I made sure, even though they were in different orders than chronological, I would try to make sure, like, oh, this was from this era. This was from this album. Yep. And it just really helped me catch up with all the other paired heads that had been fans for, for much longer than I had. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I saw this song wasn't on any of the album, studio albums, I was surprised because I think this is the strongest one of the eight. Oh, without but, question. But there are a lot of really, really good ones on there. Yeah. Um, I think was dominant, not uh, Elvis Imitators was one. Right. Knees of My Heart, uh, maybe. Christmas Money in the Back Caribbean. Guarantee. Christmas in the Caribbean. Um. Uh, there were a few others. Was, um, was Domino College or is that a, a studio? I think I think Domino College was one of the eight yeah, as well. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Love and Luck. I mean, it, it trumps them all. It's, yep. it's on another level. Well, the melody actually uh, comes from another song. I, I didn't know this until my research uh, this weekend. Um, there's a song called Cole Sere, and it is by a musician friend of his called Jocelyn. Uh, Jocelyn. I'm already slurring now. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta watch the margaritas and the, and the tequila. Uh, let me try this again. Jocelyn Berard, uh, B-E-R-O-A-R-D, Berard. Um, and this friend of his had a band, and this was one of their songs. Okay, so the melody is there. He then takes this song. He writes brand new lyrics, because the original is not in English. Uh, writes brand new lyrics, and then reinterprets the arrangement, which results in Love and Luck. Um, I took the the time to make sure that it is on Spotify. So we will put this on the mentioned songs list. Okay. Um, and, and as you listen to it, you, it, it, they're completely different songs, but you can hear the influence. Clearly, you can hear the influence. Oh, very cool. So it's not quite a cover. It's somewhere between a cover and a, and a collaboration, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, even just from the beginning, like not too many songs can pull off a one-note guitar section. Now, Neil Young famously did it with Cinnamon Girl, where it's an entire... Um, guitar solo with one note but here you hear it at the introduction of the song it's just one note that kind of it almost has its own syncopation that brings us into the song and then it kind of just takes off into the steel drum driven pop song complete with horns and backing vocals right what's there not to love now the 80s production is a little heavy in some spots but but not horrible and I think the, the, the steel drums and horns save the mix from what easily could have turned into an adult contemporary style drone, right? Um, there are some Buffett songs, especially in the late 80s, which are clearly just adult contemporary. But he avoids that, I think, in certain songs just by making choices or whatever, whoever produced the, the record makes choices to kind of steer him away from that. And so this is one of the, a perfect example of a song that in a, in a different producer's hands may have just been some adult contemporary slop. Hmm. But it's not. It, it's very, very spirited. Um, it's very, very timeless. It's just a great, great tune. And, you know, if you can resist dancing to this song, mm. um, I guarantee you, you are at least tapping your foot. Uh, with, yeah. Otherwise, you don't have a pulse. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, this one is just, 
it is just a feel good number. You know, like I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I challenge anyone unfamiliar with Jimmy Buffett to listen to this song and not be a fan by song's end. Yep. It's yep. just, it's one of the greats. All right. Well, I'm slowing it back down again, of course. And my next song, oh, this, this is, if this is not top five, it's definitely top 10 for me. It is from the One Particular Harbor album of 1983, and the song is titled 12 Volt Man. I never got a grip on penmanship Could never make the smallest flow Seldom found the trick to arithmetic Three plus two below But ask for some palm trees Or tales from the South Sea I just might turn your head. Love this. This song. one's about Mike Nesmith. Uh, or does not, he play on the album? It's not about Mike Nesmith. Okay. Um, Nesmith, uh, of course, member of the Monkees, yeah. Mike Nesmith. He actually once told Buffett about a man he ran into that lived in Baja. Okay. Um, who remains the unknown inspiration for the song. Gotcha. Uh, during the Baja race, Mike Nesmith, I guess, broke down in the middle of nowhere, and he went to a small village to wait for his repair team. He ran into an American there, a fisherman who lived in a small hut with what he called the essentials. Um, this man had a collection of Buffett's albums, packaged margarita mix from America, an old wearing blender, a tape recorder hooked up to a peculiar power system uh, made out of a Honda generator and a Sears diehard battery. Mm. That was it. That was it. That, yeah. Those were his, his entire li- you know, life possessions. Um, and it seems that you know this man, who again, he remains anonymous. No one knows the name of the, the 12 volt man. He, he would fish all week. And then on Friday night, he and his friends would hook up the blender and tape player and they would make margaritas while they sang along to Buffett songs. He was living the Buffett lifestyle. (laughs) Pure and simple, right? Um, This ceremony would last until the gas for the generator dried up, and they would call it a night until, you know, the following weekend. Um, Buffett got the inspiration to write this while he was in uh, Isla Mujeres, uh, which is a small island near Cancun. Um, Basically, you know, from Buffett's description, it was an island where life just had escaped most of the 20th century. So Buffett was there, and of course he was remembering Mike Nesmith's story of you know this anonymous fan that uh, was living the lifestyle, and Buffett it all came to him, and I guess he did run into one difficult rhyme though. Uh, the, the tough part was rhyming diehard. Oh, <laughs> but with uh, a few inspiring margaritas, I, I know how that works now. Uh, the word came, and he ended up, of course, rhyming it with credit card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, this this remained one of Buffett's favorite songs. Uh, he he always cited this as one of his absolute favorites that he had written. It was included on ballads on the box. Set. It was, yeah. Um, and uh, in 1989, Jimmy Buffett, of course, he published a the book of short stories. We've talked about it a couple of times. It was titled Tales from Margaritaville. Um, in the story, Take Another Road, 
which itself was a song title from Off to See the Lizard. Um, But in that story, a cowboy named Tully Mars is on the way to Margaritaville when he encounters the 12-volt man who's making margaritas with his generator-powered blender and listening to Buffett's A1A album. I originally had one particular harbor on my short list, and I let it go, and thankfully you included it uh, on side A. But um, the reason I let it go is because 12-volt man kind of takes me to the same place. Gotcha. And it's more in keeping, and I felt it was more consistent with my other song choices. 12-volt man is the escape. You know, it is... It, frankly, it, it is a real life example of everything that Jimmy Buffett promises his fans. Here you have the ultimate fan. He's went off. He's left civilization behind. He's self-sustaining. He fishes and he drinks. I mean, that, that's his life, you know, and he does it with Jimmy Buffett as a soundtrack. And, you know, when I think about the escape, when I think about Margaritaville as a state of mind, I can't tell you how many times I dream, just dream of just running away, (laughs) you know, in my life, I've thought about this so many times. The weather is here. I wish you were beautiful. Another great example. And it's always the family gets in the way, right? If you didn't have family. Exactly. Yes. We we would have gone by now. Oh, yeah, I I would. I would have. But we're responsible adults. I know. It's it's really a shame because all I need apparently is a diehard and I would be happy for life. Um. (laughs) <laughs> Nonetheless, this this is one of those songs that, you know, in my mind, when I imagine escaping, just permanently just running away, hiding from the world, doing my thing, I, I, I don't know that I would last long in that lifestyle. I really don't. I'm too social and I, I, you know, family is too important to me. But the appeal of just disappearing at times, it's so real, you know, and, and I think I'm sure it is for everybody. We all have those moments. But 12 Volt Man, like One Particular Harbor, like The Weather Is Here, I Wish You Were Beautiful, like I, he has so many songs uh, that, that meet this criteria. It is almost a promise that the life is waiting for you, you know, that it can be done. And while I dream about it, I've never wanted to do it, but knowing that it can be done, that to me, it, it, it just... I find a certain peace of mind in knowing that the option remains available. I mean, everybody can't do it or our economy would collapse. Well, exactly. But yes, there yeah. are people that can do it. Yeah, but I mean, just knowing that it can be done. I mean, there's there's a certain, I find joy in knowing that you know, such things are possible mm-hmm. in the 21st century. And it, it just, I don't know, this song has always spoken to me. It's another song that, um, it's another song where he's, he cites baseball. Yeah, you know, baseball yeah. is again prevalent in, in the lyrics here, much like growing older but not up. Um, but it, it's just, it's a fantastic song. It's a beautiful song. And I, it's another one that I just knew I wanted to include because it's, I don't know, from, from day one, it was when I bought the box set, this was the first ballad on ballads that, that really hmm. got me. Yeah. Um, this and then trying to reason with hurricane season. Those mm-hmm. were the two ballads on that particular CD of the box set that just, I, I latched onto and I've never let go. So it, it definitely had to make a place here on, on yeah, great, our great pick. Great pick. All right. Well, I'm going to jump ahead to 1994 for my next pick from the album of fruitcakes. It's the only one I've chosen from that record. And that is love in the library. On the corner of government 
and Bay Avenue. The old doomsday fanatic wore a crown of kudzu. Sirens were wailing in the Gulf Coastal heat, and it seemed like the whole world was in forced retreat. Paid no attention, revolved through the door, past the newspaper racks on the worn marble floor. Near Civil War history, my heart skipped a beat. She was standing in fiction, stretched high on bare feet. Love in the library, quiet and cool. Love in the library, there are no rules. Surrounded by stories surreal and sublime, I fell in love in the library. Again, it was on my short list. Um, my wife's favorite song, my favorite song on fruitcakes, without mm-hmm. question. I find it wholly romantic. Only reason I cut it was because I had just included it on, uh, what was it, the Valentine's Day episode? Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know we've, yeah, we've talked because Gail, Gail chose it for the Valentine's mm-hmm. Day episode. Um, I'm so glad you included it because but, I, but we we established that we were two songs that we've oh yeah yeah no we we've, we've already repeated several about, so. yeah but but now we're speaking from ourselves not from our Correct. wives so Correct. go for it long before I became an actual librarian I loved this song uh, call me a geek but but there's something really really sexy about a woman who likes to read there is well there's just something sexy about the the librarian. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, <laughs> I'm not just... talking about the sexy librarian trope, although there is a place for that. There is. But, but yes. I, I'm, I'm talking about being in love with someone who shares the same passion for stories that you do. Yeah. Because if if you hang around people with imagination, um, that's just a game changer, right? I won't get into all that. I've been having too much to drink at this point. Um, there's an innocence to the idea of finding your soulmate among the quiet stacks in the fiction section. And he just takes this idea and runs with it. Yeah. Um, so I finally selected one of, I guess, well, Jolly Mon's kind of a story song. So this is my second story song that I chose. Um, and that's only only kind of half of a, of a story song if you listen to the lyrics. But it's, it's set in this fictional intersection in some small coastal town. And the narrator meets his soulmate in the local library. Uh, it's filled with this fairy tale imagery. Uh, as he watches her, he's immersed uh, into just to seeing her read through the pages of these books, walking as she reads. And then, as the library is preparing to close for the day, Buffett leaves the ending to us, which, you know, usually is a cop-out, but I'll give him a pass on this one because of the actual theme of the song, right, which is opening your imagination and uh, realizing anything is possible in the world of fiction. And so I'll ask you, Alan, does he finally approach the mystery woman at the closing of the library? Or... Does he decide to return the next day and hope to find his nerve? Or does he leave content with the memory of the day and the unexplored possibilities that may exist in some other timeline? Uh, well, it's based on a true story. Oh, so you're going to tell me the answer. Yeah. So you're gonna... taking all the fun out of it. It's a well, story. No, I'm it's an open-ended give... story. All right. I'm going to give you my answer <laughs> from the fictional uh, yeah. standpoint. Um, from the fictional standpoint, no. He, I think... 
Um, it's it's kind of like City Slickers. Remember yeah. the movie City Slickers? I do. I do. When Billy Crystal is talking uh, to uh, oh my Daniel Stern. No, no, no. Uh, Bruno um, Kirby. No, the the. Uh, he won, um, he won the Palance. Oscar. Thank you, Jack, Jack Palance. Palance. And Jack Palance tells him about the story of the woman that he saw. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He fell in love with her on first first look, yeah. right? But he never approached her, and he's carried her in his heart like the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And Billy Crystal, you know, in his manic, you know, uh, <laughs> persona says, why didn't you talk to her? You could have spent your life with her. And uh, Jack Palance says, you know, I didn't need to. Right, right. I, I had... She's, she's, so you think it's the third option? He just walks out with. I think he walks out, and forever she is, because if we're looking at this as a speaker, right? Poet poetry. If we're looking at it as a speaker and not as Jimmy Buffett himself, the speaker walks out, and and she belongs to him. It's it's it doesn't need to go further because the love is, you know, it's real. That's probably the most realistic response. But man, I'm I'm the romantic. I'm the hopeless romantic. I I say he approaches her, and they go get coffee after the library closes, and um, they find out they're each other's soulmates. But you know, that's the idealist. Anyway, that sounds like an assignment I would have given my seventh grade students. You know, (laughs) Um, here, listen to this this song, um, and and finish the ending. The problem with seventh graders, though, when you give them an assignment like that, is most of them have not experienced love. So I don't know. Well, I don't mean specifically this song, but just oh, okay. just the gotcha. idea of of making them finish a story, you know, oh, yeah, like yeah. the Lady or the Tiger or one of those. Um, oh, what's the fun in finishing that story? <laughs> I, I, I've given the same assignment. I've ha- I've had them write the conclusion, but it's much more fun and it, frankly, it's just delicious to, to yeah. you know contemplate that she sent him to his death or to the other woman. Right. 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 So, well, you know, the Buffett spends a lot of songwriting capital on on songs about stories and his preference of, of fiction over fact, as we talked about. And of course, Buffett, we've mentioned, is a fiction writer. He he wrote a short story collection, several novels, uh, as well as his autobiography. I, you know, we were talking about Joe Merchant. I am shocked that that was never made into a film. Yeah, you know, I kept waiting for it, and it never happened. Because it's perfect for a film. I mean, we're not talking Pulitzer-winning fiction here. Oh, I mean, no, that's no. not what Buffett was trying to do. Buffett's doing a, a Carl Hyacinth-type novel of these quirky characters involved in something over their heads, and it's just a lot of fun. Perfect movie fodder. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, by the way, have you been to Universal? Yes. Have you seen the Hemisphere Dancer? Yes. Yeah, and Universal City Walk. If you go to the Margaritaville and Universal City Walk in Orlando. His actual plane, the Hemisphere Dancer, which yep. was Buffett's seaplane, um, it's uh, basically a character in and of itself in, in the book Joe Merchant, but it's the plane that was shot at when he and, and Bono yep. were headed to um, Jamaica, Yeah, um, and they thought it was a drug plane, and you can see the three bullet holes yeah. in the plane. Yep, no, that was that was a highlight of Universal for me yep. actually, yeah. and yeah, Jamaica Mistaka, you know? <laughs> right? Great. Which was one I considered too, just because it's such a great story and another example of how blatantly autobiographical Buffett can be. Oh, absolutely! All right, so I'm looking back over my notes, and this "Love in the Library" was a song that that my wife picked for mm-hmm. the Valentine's Day episode. Um, but I did look up a bit of information, and you know, I'll just recap here very quickly. Um, yeah. Um, Basically, um, beneath the carnival surface, um, you know, Jimmy Buffett has a lot of songs that just kind of drip with sentiment. Right. Right. And the stories and characters in his songs mean everything to his rabid fan base. The, the characters he introduces are presented with an unparalleled sensitivity that most songwriters do not and cannot convey. Um, 
and as we said, a majority of these characters are semi-autobiographical. Uh, they're Buffett's own experiences accompanied by a six-string guitar is generally how it works. And those songs that are not about him are always about people he's known. He pays loving tribute to everyone who has touched his heart and made him think, uh, largely, and Love in the Library is a great example. Um, uh, I wrote at the time, it's my favorite song from his 1994 album, Fruitcakes. That hasn't changed. It's my wife's favorite Buffett song, still is. Um, Buffett has only played Love in the Library one time, May 6, 94, and um, he said it, 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 the song is a fine remembrance of his days as a young man. He was a fan of Civil War and Gulf Coast history, and he would go and study in the library mainly because it was air-conditioned, <laughs> and he wanted to escape the sweltering heat of Mobile, Mobile Alabama. But make no mistake, there was also a cute librarian with whom he was smitten. Uh, Buffett is also credited his mother, uh, who was an avid reader. She wanted him to read so he could see the world as a bigger place than where he grew up. And Buffett said it was one of the greatest gifts she ever gave him. She turned him on to reading, and reading turned him on to writing. His love of Mark Twain and Flannery O'Connor is the stuff of legend. Buffett said he always found himself in libraries. Uh, he was just drawn in, and he continues to romanticize libraries still today. And of course, now you can find his own written works on the shelves, is what I wrote. Um, but yeah, she there was a, a librarian that uh, worked in Mobile, Alabama, and apparently he was... He, he was smitten, but Jimmy Buffett, of all people, never found the words to go up and talk to her. Hmm. He, uh, For whatever reason, he was too shy. He just couldn't do it. Um, and he, Mac McNally uh, was co-writer of, of this particular song. He helped Buffett write this ode to the, library, to the literary romance of his youth. Um, and I wrote at the time, and I still stand by this, when a contemporary song mentions Gustave Flaubert, <laughs> the writer knows a thing or two about the literary world. It's not a woman by the name of Flo Bear? No, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> no, think so. No. But, uh, yeah, I don't, he never gives her name in any of you know, the, his, his no, um, uh, memoirs, but they're, they're, it's based on a true story. So Something I read about his, his writing process um, back when Joe Merchant came out um, stuck with me. And I got to experience it later because, as you mentioned, I finally did you know, hunker down and, and finally write a novel. But um, it's that he would find himself so immersed in, in this book that he would go out to dinner with friends, something that he always cherished. And yet he could not participate fully because his mind was just stuck with these characters and their story and what was going on. And the whole time he's here, you know, wanting to enjoy a meal with friends, all he could do was just wait to get back to his keyboard where he could continue their story. Hmm. And that's just, a, it, it's a frustrating obsession because that's where you want to be as a writer, right? You want to be immersed in your characters. But uh, most of us, unless we're, you know, J.D. Salinger, have, have a life and have, have social <laughs> obligations. And, uh, and then we have to um, honor those. And that's tough. I know what it's like to be hyper-focused on something and all you want to do is just go back and get to work. And, and I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, he is, he is a talented writer. Again, we're not talking... You know, King is is so you know on record with saying that story over over style is important, and I think King has both actually. Um, Buffett just takes that to heart. Yeah. Not that he again, not that he doesn't have a few great lines here and there, but he's he's not worried about breaking new ground here. He's just he's just telling us these great stories that are part of our uh, of our zeitgeist of of things from the past and things in the future and, and things that are almost. Um, archetypes, you know, that, that just oh, yeah. repeat themselves over and over again. Yeah. There's, there are definite motifs to his work that are repeated. Um, 
So what the novel that you wrote, was it your Franny and Zoe? Were you a Salinger, you know, isolated? And no, it was a dime store pulp fiction novel, basically. <laughs> a horror thriller with lots of blood. No, I know that. I've read, <laughs> I've, I've read the book. What I mean is, did you lock yourself away? And uh, No, or? no, but, but it was tough because I do recall they were, I didn't want to go to work. You know, I didn't want to do my job. I, I, I don't know that I ever really want to go to work. No, but I mean, <laughs> but here I am and I, I have an I extra hour that. in my day and I'm supposed to write a lesson plan and I just want to go back to, to writing my... No, I did write a lot of it in the summer, which which helps. But even that in the summer, like, and I'm a hyper-focused ADHD guy anyway. And so if I get immersed in something, it, it can it, it's very productive, but not so pleasant for those around me. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I know if I get locked into something, this summer I got locked into a nonfiction project that I, I finally finished. And I felt bad because my son, you mentioned, you know, money to spend as much time with your kids, and I'm always very cognizant of that. And so my son was home for the summer from college. And I remember I was working, I was working at the dining room table almost probably 10, 12 hours a day for about a month and a half this summer. And it was great because I got a ton done. But there were times when all I wanted to do was just keep diving into this. And my son said, hey, we were, what were we watching together? We were watching uh, some HBO show together. Okay. Uh, I think it was Winning Time. And he said, hey, Dad, do you want to watch another episode? And boy, you're split because, yes, I want to spend as much time with him while he's home. I also want to immerse myself in the book. And luckily, I'm mature enough to make the correct choice. I closed the laptop, and, and, and I hung out with him anytime he wanted to. But I understand that pull of an artist wanting to just immerse yourself. And you can see why some artists just don't have very uh, healthy relationships because right. it's, it's tough sometimes. Hmm. And I say that like I'm an artist. I mean, yeah, I've written one novel, but... It, 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 it at least could dabble in that experience, right. if not live it all the time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this song, <laughs> Love in the Library, musically the song is simple, it, it's pleasant, mm. it's innocent, and it's, it's quite a departure from the man who once penned the lyrics, why don't we get drunk and screw? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It's like the complete antithesis of uh, <laughs> that one. Um, yeah, I um, no, Love in the Library, it remains one of my absolute favorites. It, it is definitely a top ten. Uh, for me, of of his um, catalog, but um, you know, fruitcakes. I love fruitcakes, but as much for years, it was one of the ones that I would turn on if I just wanted to enjoy myself. You know, it was one of the albums that it was one of my go-to albums, and I still love a majority of the songs on it. But as I was making this list of songs that are personally relevant and meaningful to me. Love in the Library would have made the cut, but like I said, I, I felt like I had sure. yeah, just, you already, just you already covered it. About it. Yeah, yeah, I already yeah. talked about yeah. it. So, I mean, realistically, there's I was looking through the, the song list and there was nothing else on that album that had a very personal connection, which kind of surprised me because yeah. it was one of my go-to albums for yeah. the longest time. Yeah. I mean, quietly making noise and... and Everyone's uh, got a cousin Miami yeah, and fruitcakes yeah, and, and six-string music, oh, yeah, Apocalypto. I, yeah, it, it's just, it, it is an amazing album musically but yeah no so i'm really glad you you included it because it was an album that i thought perhaps was just going to be neglected in our list so all right well this next one um i have talked about before as well i included it uh in our oh was it the sand and surf no it was I don't, I don't remember which... Oh, but Sailing. It was the Sailing episode. Before you begin, we're almost halfway. One. I think we need to fill... Oop, I just dropped that. We need to fill, have another shot. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Yeah. You might be staying over here all day because I'm not letting you drive home. Oh. All righty. There you go. I'm pouring one for the listener, too, so you can use your imagination. 
there we go. All right, here we go again to Uncle Jimmy. Cheers. Cheers. All right, continue. I don't know if it's good or bad that they're going down smoother now. <laughs> um, okay, so um, this next one, uh, as I said, I've I've presented before. Actually, we've repeated a number of tracks already. But this one, you can't do a tribute to Buffett without including it. Um, arguably, uh, his most popular song, well, at least after Margaritaville, uh, Among Parrotheads. He was only 27 when he released the song, but it was never about him. He wrote it about Phil Clark, one of the more colorful characters that he met when he first came to Key West uh, in the early 70s. Clark was a modern-day pirate, described in various accounts as a smuggler, a mercenary, a drug runner, and an adventurer. Bubba got to know him and wrote the song based on their conversations. Clark was approaching age 40, and he wasn't sure his profession would be around much longer. Let me just stop you there, too, by the yes. way, real quick. Because, you know, when we listen to Buffett, and, and I reestablished this is probably my favorite Buffett song, but, um, you know, we were, what, 19, 20 years old, 18, 19, 20. And so 40, right, seemed like, like ancient, like... <laughs> It did. And Buffett writes this song when he's in his, I think, early 30s. No, he's 27. Okay, 20, okay. Yeah, 27. And so it was so far away for him. And and so to be 10 years removed from that 40 age, gosh, that messes with my mind. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Well, this is only the third song uh, from my list in both parts uh, now, part one and part two of the podcast only the third song uh and it's number nine out of 12 that charted it charted at number 101 so it did not even hit the hot 100 interesting it, it was bubbling under which is actually a <laughs> which is a another chart itself yeah, know, they, yeah, they had yeah. the bubbling under chart it, it was it peaked at number 101 in 1974 uh the song i haven't named it but anybody who knows buffett knows what song i'm describing um the name of the song is A Pirate Looks at 40. It's from the 1974 album A1A. Mother, mother ocean I have heard you call Wanted to sail upon your waters Since I was three feet tall You've seen it all You've seen it all Watch the man who rode you Switch from sails to steam And in your belly you hold the treasures You have ever seen Most of them dream Most of them dream Phil Clark, um, Phil Clark's bar of choice in Key West was the Full Moon Saloon. And when he died... His body washed up on a beach in Sausalito, California. Some of his ashes were brought to the saloon where they stayed above the cash register until the bar closed in 1993. Uh, this remains one of Buffett's most popular and enduring songs. It's played at all of his concerts. Uh, many listeners assumed for years that it was about Buffett himself as he had many swashbuckling tales to tell. It resonates with anyone getting older and wondering if a change is in order. Um, if there was ever a hint of a dark side to Buffett's work, it would be found in this concert standard. Um, 
the narrator based uh, on you know real life Buffett Powell Clark, as I said. Really, he arrives at middle age, looking back on a life of drug smuggling, drinking, and chasing women. And you know those days are gone. I made enough money to buy Miami, but I pissed it away so fast. And the song is really it is the very definition of midlife crisis. You know, it, it, it's. And I think I was immediately attracted to this song. This was my favorite Buffett song from day one. It still is my favorite Buffett song. But it, it's funny to me that I, I latched onto it so tightly in my late teens and early 20s. Well, for me, it wasn't even about that part of it. It called that to me because, as I, as I mentioned, every, every summer I would go to the East Coast, to the beach, and it was, I'll talk about it more in a later song, but... Very magical place for me. Um, just total overindulged in my imagination of what this represented for me. And there's just not a lot of music that celebrates the magic of, of the ocean. True. And so I was a little leery getting into Buffett at first when you mentioned our friend Kevin was kind of touting his merits. And I knew I didn't really particularly enjoy country music. And when I put in songs you know by heart and I heard Mother, Mother Ocean, I have heard your call, wanted to sail your water since I was three feet tall. That did it. I'm like, here's a guy that gets it. Here's a guy that understands the magic of the ocean. That's what I took. It wasn't until much later that I kind of got the, the midlife part. Yeah. And, and I'm much the same. I, um, I don't have I – mean, I love the beach. I, I very rarely get to go because my wife is deathly afraid of water. And yeah, she'll go waist deep. Mm-hmm. That's as far into the water as she will go. It's further than knee deep. Yeah, well, true. Yeah, uh, she <laughs> she, she beats Zach Zach Brown. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. No, Gail never learned to swim, and she she had a scary experience when she was very young. And she Does she like the boat. Um, or she just the open water isn't for her. No, she'll she'll boat. Okay, uh, we talked about doing a cruise. You know, uh, off and on. We've. We, Still have not ever taken one, but no, she's she's not afraid of the open water. She's just afraid to be in it. Gotcha. And um, so when I go to a beach, it's usually, or when I go to the shore, you know, and I, I would go and spend a week at the ocean, you know, any day. To me, that's the perfect vacation. It's where I want to be. But it's always me in the water looking at her sitting uncomfortably on the, the shore, you know, and it's, it's, I never last long, you know, every time we go to a beach, I'm in the water maybe an hour and a half when finally I get lonely in the water by myself and, you know, I feel bad that she's, you know, just sitting there getting sunburned. So we, we end up leaving early and my boys, while they used to love the water as they've gotten older, they make a ticket or leave it. And now increasingly they don't go on vacation with us. So I don't get to go to the beach that often. Um, so, uh, it wasn't necessarily the connection, uh, that you have, but it was more, it was the story element I think, but it was also just this idea to me of trying to figure out who you are because the song was very, it resonated with me in that way because, you know, we were, you know, upperclassmen, we were, we were going into our senior year of high school, we were newly introduced to Buffett, but, you know, we're making our choices, where do we go to school, what do we do with the rest of our lives, what, what, you know, what is, what does the future hold? And listening to this song about a man who had it figured out and then the world changed and he had to start over again. And he was unable to do that and, you know, failing. The fear, I think, that, that kind of gripped me about making those hard choices in life and wondering if I'm making them correctly. And just the, you know, the knowledge that things that are 
as is always the case, the things that are most enjoyable are usually the things that are not good for you. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, food being the great example, everything that tastes good is unhealthy. So, you know, it's all moderation. It, it is. As it says, is. It's it, all about moderation. Is, moderation yeah. seems to be the key. That is true. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, going into my senior year, trying to figure out my, my journey, you know, beyond high school, for whatever reason, I, I made the connection to the the character of this song, you know, and, and it was just, you know, I don't know. It, it was both thrilling and very scary. And I think that um, I, I related to the character and trying to figure out what do I do now? And it stayed with me since that time. I, I just never, I never tire of this song. I mean, I could play it all day, every day. And it's, I, I don't think it's possible to tire of this song. You, you have a much deeper appreciation for it than I do in that respect. I just like the fact, other than the ocean connection, which appealed to me very early, and there are a number of Buffett songs that could have done that for me. It's the idea that he compares the old um, pirate uh, myth, the archetype, the, the romance of, right. of, of the old Caribbean pirates, and connects it to the modern day small time drug smuggler. Yeah, that's what I like. No, I always thought that was very cool too. Yeah, yeah I mean, on, on that level. Um, but no, the song is ultimately about wisdom and resilience. Yep. You know, reflecting with a sense of loss but not regret. You know, um, you know, all those girls that he chased away, they still can find a smile for him. You know, when they come back one day. I, I don't know. Buffett makes the tale go down easy with an island breeze melody, and it, you know, it just conveys a what me worry beach lifestyle before it all went south I think and it's I don't know it's just a beautiful number and you know late in his career because I I have seen Buffett I saw Buffett live countless times probably close to 20 times I saw Buffett live and in the last five or six years um, this was always his last song of his encore and it was always just him with the guitar in fact, I don't think I saw him perform this with the Coral Reefer band. Probably, it might have been 10 years since I saw him perform this with the band. I mean, it was always just him, spotlight, on a stool with the guitar. And it, it just, I don't know, with just the collective response of the audience, I don't know that there was a song that was more appreciated and more relatable to the Parrot Head Nation than pirate looks at 40 because they were all looking for escape and you know it, this this story of a man who had nowhere to go and was stuck I think it was easily identifiable by everybody in attendance at the concert where Buffett was the only escape they had mm-hmm. and it was temporary at best so I think that you know it's it's it is going to be much loved and probably remain most parrot heads favorite song for all time, yeah, you know, yeah. So and funny, I thought when I first heard, I was the only one. You know, that's yeah. how it is in life. You think oh, yeah. you're the only one, and then you realize this is important to other people as well, right? All right, my my next pick. Um, I'm going back to Banana Wind. Um, did I already have a song from Banana? Maybe I didn't. Did I? Yeah, Banana Wind. No, I didn't choose that. That was that was on my short list that didn't end up making it. So oh, I think this what might did be you the have? First one from Banana Schoolboy Heart. 
That's what I'm having now. That's what I'm talking okay. about now. You did talk about You had something from it. I right? talked about I've talked about those three records a lot, especially yeah. last week. Anyway, I'm going to Banana Wind, 1996. Um, the last album from Buffett that I really just immersed myself in. And um, this song, this is the last of the top five. I think I've already mentioned my top five. And I've mentioned four. This is, this is the fifth one. Top song, uh, five song for me, School by Heart. Uh, School by Heart, man, we're really... <laughs> Let's have another shot. Um, this song is, is lyrically and musically perfect. Um, one of his finest compositions. Uh, the melody is simple but instantly familiar. Uh, the rhythm is easygoing but not slow. And the whole vibe contains about as much positivity in four minutes than I could think is even physically possible. I know I'm typically not a lyrics guy, but I love when a song commits to a concept and nails it. Yeah. And here Buffett reflects on his jack of many trades existence and how the maker must have crafted him from many different pieces and parts of past lives. He masterfully connects physical traits with abstract ones, like his novelist eye, his bartender's ear, and his native tongue seated in the cheek of his Gulf Coastal mouth. I just think that's a stroke of brilliance. Yeah. Because you're taking these extended metaphors that are familiar to everybody and, and, and just pulling them all together in one place. And I felt like I've always related to this idea. Um, I don't know about you. I, I feel, I never feel comfortable embedding with one particular group. Yeah. I enjoy strolling around the edges of many different groups. I suppose our listeners would say, if we asked them, you know, what peer group did, did you exist? Most people are going to say, oh, I, I, did, I wasn't in any peer group. I had friends in all different peer groups. The thing is, everybody else sees you in a peer group. They do. Right? They do. <laughs> so as much as I'm sure we all said in high school, like, yeah, we're not part of the jocks or the preps or the burnouts or the skate, whatever. Yeah, we're just friends with everybody. But I'm sure people pigeonholed us somewhere as well. And, and, and that's just kind of the reality of things. Yeah. But I think the key to life, or one of the keys to life, is, is not allowing yourself to be defined by other people pigeonhole you, okay? Um, and I think it's really unfair, because I'll meet people all the time, and it's so unfair to me. Like, I'll, I'll meet some football coach, and I think, oh, this guy, I love football, by the way, you know I love football. But I think, oh man, this guy's just, you know, some, some meathead football jack. 
And then I find out like he's read Tolkien every year of his life, you know, or he's, he's really into Broadway. And, and it just reminds me that, you know, people aren't these cookie cutter ideas of what the media wants to make them. Um, we are all a jack of all trades in some right. way. And that's why I think Buffett really celebrates in the song. It's not just Buffett, it's, it's all of us. There are pieces and parts that are made up of our family and our friends and our past and our experiences. And it's all kind of messily placed together, you know? Um, it's like evolution. If evolution was really designed, like who would design that system? It's so messy, and yet it works. And so, Banana Wind, like I said before, maybe Buffett's most consistent record, top to bottom. I don't know what you feel about his most consistent record, but um, this album holds so many cherished memories for me. Because, like you said in the last song, it's a time in my life when I'm, I'm, you know, leaving college, about to start my career, about to get married. And it's a song that my wife and I shared together on many trips. And so it just holds so much of that nostalgia for me. Yeah. No, I get it. And Schoolboy Heart is definitely a top 10 for me, too. I This never made my short list because I was absolutely certain. <laughs> you knew I, I knew you would have it. And, yeah. you know, it was one that I knew I'd get to talk about. I knew I'd get to praise. And I, I didn't have to use a selection of mine to, to do it. Um Everything I would say would echo what you've already said. It's to me, it is about schoolboy wonder. It's about you know never losing, or or at the very least, always you know remembering you know where you came from, mm-hmm. and you know finding finding the connections between who you were, who you are, who you want to be, and just you know the magic of of a life's journey. You know, mm-hmm. and and the people, the places, the things that you experience. It, it's just, it's a beautiful song. Right. And you have that wide-eyed innocence, but you also have, you know, the, the wit and the, you know, the, the the knowledge of where you've been and how that has made you the person you are. Yeah. It, it's it, it's just a perfect story of a life. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. But, you know, Schoolboy Heart being the title, it, to me it's, one of the reasons I love teaching, one of the reasons I went into teaching, not only do I love working with kids and, you know, I, I, I treasure the relationships I have with my students and the rapport that I have with them, but I always knew that if I could see the world through my students' eyes, it would keep me young, hmm. you know, and it, it has, you know, as I said for oh, a few songs back, my mind thinks it's 30, my body is sure that it's, you know, wheelchair bound, essentially. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, there. there is a part of me that never wants to let go of the schoolboy wonder mm-hmm. of it all. Um, in fact, that is a great transition. Are you, are you done? Or are you still have more to go? Well, I just, I, I just want to, I'll build on that. I, I think that okay. is, that is maybe the key to life is just that, or at least to staying young, I should say. Um, I think you have two choices when you become our age. You can either look at the, the next generation. In fact, we're almost two generations removed. Right, we are, from yeah. Uh, you can look at that and say, wow, how inexperienced and silly. These, these kids think they, they thought of that first. They, you know, they think they're the first environmentalists. They don't know what it was like in Earth Day in the 80s. Like, they think they're the first to um, discover this. And, and, you, and I think people can get really bitter and, and roll their eyes um, and just say, I'm not going to participate in this. But I decided with my own kids early on and just with in, in general, it's like, you know what? Um, everybody has their time. 
and 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 even though they might need a lot more experience to to come to the some conclusions that we've come to through our experience um, they also have some good ideas that we've never considered oh yeah and to dismiss that dismiss that and say that they have nothing to offer is is wrong and so there are a lot of things whether it be pop culture political whatever I don't truly understand but I've made the decision to say you know what I don't have to understand it and this is their time and let me try to connect to that as much as possible and man it's a much better way to live than just being bitter anyway yep no I agree I um I think that well, that's one of the reasons I stay out of the teacher's lounge <laughs> honestly I mean it's and I'm friends with the people I, I teach with I mean I respect them I think they're wonderful people but there are so many that now that really they always have but it was it used to be worse because when I was a younger teacher the veteran teachers were awful at this where they go into the teacher's lounge and all they do is complain about the kids right, right. you know yep that negativity is just toxic. Right, it is toxic. And here's the thing. I stand by this. I still believe this. I tell everybody that asks this. Kids haven't changed. No, no. The world the world's changed. has changed. Their circumstances have yeah. changed. And, you know, realistically, if you talk one-on-one with any student, even your worst student, their fears, their joys, their hopes, their aspirations, their... Uh, they are the same as ours were. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate. I, I have always worked to empower my students to give them voice. And I believe that youth is always right. And I believe that any adult that stands opposed to them is always wrong. Well, I mean, if you look at history, that's generally been the case. It is, yeah. I mean, who was it? Churchill, I think, that said that uh, if you're young and conservative, you have no heart. If you're old and old <laughs> Not and liberal, liberal you, uh, you have no brain. Yeah, you have yeah, no yeah, brain. Yeah, yeah. that's it's, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just wrong. You know, I mean, I think what we do in time, most adults sell out. Yeah, they they grow complacent. They grow lazy. They they give up. You know, and what I love about teaching is that my students do not allow me to do that. Yeah. You know, and schoolboy heart. To me, that just encapsulates everything that I most love about what I do. Right. You know, it's just, it's an incredible song. I might physically feel old, but I don't have to feel old emotionally or mentally or intellectually. Exactly. And yeah, sometimes I might feel like that that meme where Steve Buscemi in the backwards hat, if you've seen that, he's like, hey, fellow kids, what's up? You know, like, I know I don't really belong in those spaces, but because I'm able to listen uh, a lot of times I'm invited into those spaces. Exactly. Uh, where I volunteer, there were a couple of interns that are the same age as my kids. And I enjoy talking to them more than I enjoy mm-hmm. talking to the adults. No, absolutely. I've always enjoyed... I mean, I would rather spend my lunch among my students than sure. I would ab- among coworkers. Right. And it's I love my coworkers. It's not... But there not is the a point. lot of negativity. There is, yeah. And, yeah, I, I just... I don't know. To me, it's just... <sighs> It's 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 sad that so many people, you know, constantly complain these kids today. But they said it about us, you know. And I think of the meme. The meme that I love most, that I've seen most recently, is that um, Gen X, the only generation that turned thirty at age ten and <laughs> remains thirty at age fifty. Yeah, that's great. That's you know? great. Um, which I don't. That that is us. Mm-hmm. You know, fine. Finally, to yeah. Completely defined. Yep. A friend know? of mine once, I was probably complaining about something with the kids, and he said, you know, to quote, he quoted Lincoln, he said, 
our children are always our, our better angels. And, and, oh, yeah. And, and yeah, even though there is always that percentage of kids that seem to require the most attention uh, because they quite haven't figured things out yet, um, that group of kids that are going to lead tomorrow are still there. Oh, yeah. As strong as ever. Without question. In many ways, stronger than, than our generation. Yeah. And, but I mean, I don't know when I, when people talk about how entitled kids today are or how, you know, they, they lack respect or they, I, I get so angry, you know, it's, it's, it's just not true. No. I mean, COVID changed everything. Sure. You know, every I, generation has had their challenges yeah, I mean, COVID, and we were pretty lucky as Gen Xers. We didn't really have a lot. No, we didn't. Uh, COVID changed everything and our students, I think are, are, they, they were hindered yeah. terribly by it, but you know, it's it's just. But it's going to add an element of of um, resilience, I think. Oh yeah, and you know that that is what made Gen X. Oh yeah. So I mean that, that was that was our thing. We were the latchkey kids. We overcame everything, and we did it on our own. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, hopefully this next generation won't have to do it on their own. Exactly. So. But what I was going to say, uh, and I, I jumped the gun. That's okay. It's a great transition because my next song from Barometer Soup in 1995 talks very much about childhood innocence and, mm. and surrendering yourself to the child. That's, that that's my. This is a top ten go. song for me here. Yeah. Uh, the song is The Night I Painted the Sky. I came from the north Escaping convention modern invention that won't let me be to the shores of St. Martin with my fiction addiction to restart the fire a dreamer's remedy Independence Day and all I remember was a midnight rainbow that fell from the sky as I stand on the beach I slowly surrender to the child in me who can't say goodbye the rockets in the air and the people everywhere Put away their differences for a while Oh, I am still a child When it comes to something wild Oh, that was the night I painted the sky To me, this is this song is all about the wonder of a schoolboy heart. To me, the two songs are so intrinsically linked. Uh, in it, thematically, you know, uh, he says, I slowly surrender to the child in me that can't say goodbye, you know, and it's, it's just about a man who gets to set off fireworks on the, on the coast and watching the rainbow fall from the sky. He says, you know, I'm just a child when it comes to something wild, you know, and, and it's just about the simple joys and how it takes him back to his childhood and how, you know, that child is still there. I, I think this may be his best descriptive slash reflective song. I think so. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and what I love too is not only is it focused on, you know, the child that remains, but it also is very, you know, I already said Buffett is an optimist. 
you know, or was. I mean, I'm still using the present tense. Um, Buffett was an optimist, and he he, like you said, he never brought up politics. You know, he he infused humor all the time, which made him accessible to everybody. And he, he spoke in terms that we all could relate to. He's incredibly, he was incredibly accessible. So when he sings in this song that, um, you know, the, the rockets in the air and people everywhere put away their differences for a while. It's such a powerful statement on how something so simple and so beautiful can bring people together. And those people watching the fireworks in the sky you know, just that image of them all as little children enjoying the moment, living in the present. It's, to me, this is one of the most powerful songs the man has ever recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it just is. Um, and I've experienced that myself. There have been lots of times. Um, there was a concert where he actually ended the show. We went, I was there. I don't know if you were with me. I remember Fran, my cousin. Is that the one where the volcano set on, got set on fire? Not that one. No, <laughs> I'm going to talk about that. But no, um, this one was. Uh, it was Buckeye Lake. It was. The, it was. It was his last time performing at Buckeye Lake. Okay. Uh, it was 19. Uh, I want to say it was 1996. It was the Banana Wind tour. Okay. Um, I was probably there. That his his final encore was the night I painted the sky. And yes. He yes. Set off I was fireworks. there. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes he set yes. off fireworks. Definitely. And for whatever reason, I mean, I've seen a lot of incredible fireworks displays I mean I, whether it's you know the fireworks at the end of the night you know over the castle at Disney World or whether it's red white and boom on July 4th in Columbus I've, I've seen my share of incredible fireworks displays but there was something so powerful about watching them set off at Buckeye Lake as he performed this mm-hmm. song yeah I mean I can't I'd be hard-pressed to think of a moment any moment where I saw an artist, you know, whether I revered them as one of my favorites or it was just a, ca- I'm just a casual fan. I don't think I ever had a moment that was so transcendent mm-hmm. as this encore at Buckeye Lake in '96, as he was setting off the fireworks and singing the song. Yeah, it just connected with me in a way that, I, you know, it, it was a wholly new experience, and it felt it felt so childlike, I mm-hmm. guess, I, for lack of a better way to explain it. I, I felt like it, I was just in awe, you know, of, of the experience, of the moment, of the camaraderie, of the, you know, just the people everywhere singing along and to my friends, you know, and my family. It was just, it's a moment that I treasure and I know I'll never relive. So. And, and that's a great communal moment with the song, um, which I, I shared with you, and that was it was awesome. But I've also experienced the song in an isolated way, where a couple times I've been out on the East Coast on the 4th of July. And so, um, you know, depending on when I had kids, I didn't do this, but I would just take a beach walk by myself right before the fireworks and um, and had and the song playing in my my Walkman or headphones or whatever, whatever stage we were in technology-wise, and just watch the fireworks raining down by myself on an empty beach with the song playing is, is cool too. Yeah. No, I, I imagine it would be. You know, Buckeye Lake, just to recap, <laughs> Buckeye Lake, we, he performed at Buckeye Lake four years in a row. And I was at all four shows. I, now yeah. that you said you were- Yeah, I was all four. I think you came with me to all four. Yeah. In 93, that was the year the volcano caught on fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was the Chameleon Caravan Tour. 
Okay. I did a lot of research to try and recap all this. Um, Which was the rain where I lost my grandmother's blanket? No. Oh, okay. Keep going. No. 93 was the year the volcano caught on fire. Chameleon Caravan Tour. He returned to Buckeye Lake for the Fruitcakes Tour in 94. Okay. Nothing out of the ordinary happened at the Fruitcakes Tour. It was pretty standard fare. The Domino College Summer Session Tour in 95. Yeah. That was that the mudslide. That was the, the that monsoon. Was the mud that picture that Tad gave yes, us, with, yes. it's from 95. Okay. That's when I lost my grandmother's blanket because some girl peed on it. Yeah. And then it got stuck in the oh mud. And I lost my shoes as well. I totally forgot about the blanket. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, and now I need to see this this video of you know the girls that were into <laughs> us you know that we totally were too drunk to know. Um, and then in 96, that was the last time we performed. That was the Banana Wind yes. tour. That was the fireworks display. And I think that was the last show I've ever seen of yeah. life. Yeah, the Domino College summer session, though, I mean, the thunderstorm, I mean, it was a mudslide. The mud was knee-deep. Yeah, I mean, you, it, you, people lost their shoes. Yeah. Like, they got I, sucked under. We all did, yeah. And and the Banana Wind Tour, okay, in 96, that was the one, I don't know if you remember, someone erroneously filled Parrothead balloons with helium. They released, <laughs> they released them to the crowd, and they were supposed to come to the crowd. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. instead, they immediately, straight up, <laughs> right, and, out, straight yeah, up right. and out of sight, right? These events actually inspired a new second verse to come Monday. Really? Yeah. Buffett actually created a new second verse. It went, yes, it's been quite a summer, burning volcanoes and Midwest monsoons, and now you're off on vacation, but someone lost the parrot head balloons. Wow. So, to my knowledge, <coughs> Buckeye Lake is the only venue that ever inspired a new verse. That's awesome. I didn't know Monday. that. To come So, yeah, and to me, that just, that is, that takes it to a whole new level, yeah. you know? And I mean, I've seen him at Blossom. I saw him at Progressive Field. I saw him at Buckeye Lake four years. I've been, Gail and I went to see him at, at Riverbend in Cincinnati at least 10 years in a row. And for the first two or three of those, we took the kids with us. So, I mean, I've seen this man so many times. Buckeye Lake, though, those four years at Buckeye Lake. That's the best. Hands down, no concert venue anywhere else comes close to the four years that right. we shared at Buckeye Lake. We were just, we were young, our yep. whole future's ahead of us. Yep. Not a care in the world. Yeah. Just out of school, right? Each year, I'm sure we had just finished school and mm-hmm. went down there. So, yeah, I, I had to include this. Not only is the song one of my favorites, but that is a time, I mean, we, you know, we were so much, we're, we're still good friends. Sure. But, you know, we, like John, like Lennon said, you know, life is what happens to you when you're busy making sure, other plans. Yeah. So I mean, it's like we see each other so rarely, but probably you know? a lot more than a lot of high school. Oh, chums. without question, yeah. yeah, without question. You and I, of course, we had the podcast. Sure. We see each other all the time, but you know, Tad, right. Scott, um, John. I can't remember the last time I saw John or Mark. You know, um, Doug, of course, is gone. I mean, it's. I don't know. Those four years, though, to me, they remain magical. Mm-hmm. You know, and. We were at another precipice because college was ending. Right. You know? And again, we were trying to figure out, much like I just said about Schoolboy Heart, we were trying to figure out where do we go now? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was such a a powerful time and we had such close bonds that I can't do a tribute to Jimmy Buffett and not include The Night I Painted the Sky. 100%. Awesome. All right. My next to last one here. Uh, I'm going with Again, from 1973, is a white sport coat and pink crustacean. I have found me a home. The days drift by, they don't have names. None of the streets here. 
look the same There's so many quiet places Smiling eyes match the smiling faces And I have found me home Everything I own Cause I have found me a home I've talked about it before. I spent summers on, on the East Coast and the ocean became this magical, overstimulated place in my mind. Like, I was a weird kid. You know, my imagination was so big and I connected everything to anything. And it, this was a, just that place. Anytime you go to a place with a, a, a huge body of water like that, um, when you live in the Midwest, and in, in, other than Lake Erie, right, which is an hour away, but you just don't have that. I don't know. There's something magical about it. I can't explain. Um, but I had that Jimmy Buffett vibe years before I heard Margaritaville. Mm-hmm. And as an only child who was never allowed to bring a friend on, on the trip, I had to find ways to entertain myself. My bicycle was the key. Right? It could take me the set. There were set. The island itself is seven miles long. It's about three blocks wide, but about seven miles long. And my bicycle could take me anywhere on that island. And some days I'd just grab extra batteries for my Walkman and, and, and just walk. I'd walk all seven miles of the beach. I could sit for hours in the sun reading books until the tide caught my sandy toes. And then, and then I discovered Jimmy Buffett, a singer songwriter who must have grown up similar to me, right? Probably on a much larger scale because he was down near the coast. But um, I just became, I fell in love with his, his mythical ideals for this just massive water, right, uh, on our planet. And the way he expressed his love in so many ways, whether it be like a pirate looks of 40, which we've already talked about, um, waiting for hurricane season, which we did, and, and Margaritaville itself, it just... No other artist that I'd ever encountered, and probably still to this day, made the ocean a centerpiece of his music as Jimmy Buffett has. Right. And yeah, the partying's fun, and we've all had fun paired head parties, but that Jimmy Buffett's never been about that for me. Mm-hmm. It's never been about the party. Agreed. It's been about the, 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 the shared love for the ocean and the magic of, of this natural resource that I just felt akin with him on. That, that to me, has been the, the main reason why I became a Buffett fan. And so when I hear a song like I Have Found Me a Home, I'm instantly pulled back to that coastal island and how I was convinced as a kid I wanted to live there for the rest of my days with my books and my tapes and my trusty bike. It is the ultimate escapism, which of course is what Buffett has most to offer the world, which escapism. So it it just, a lot of people discover Buffett first and then they get into this whole island paradise idea. I kind of went about the opposite direction. I had this ideal in my mind, and then I met Jimmy Buffett, and it, he just built on that obsession. No, I agree. I am. Um, I I come from Buffett. I come to Buffett from a slightly different vantage point. I don't have the relationship with the ocean that you do, but I certainly appreciate and respect, and I, I become a, a fervent fan of his description of the ocean it makes it makes me long to be on the water you know which that in itself speaks volumes to how prolific he sure, is yeah, yeah. you know um that he he basically you know 
transports me to a place that I'm, I don't call home. And yet I know that I'd be comfortable and I'd be happy and I'd be content to be there. It's, you know, um, but no, I certainly get it. I mean, you know, the water is so central to his themes that if you share that, you know, kinship, it's, yeah. Of course, what he doesn't tell you that if I really wanted to live out my dream and live on that island for the rest of my life, I would basically have to catch fish and live off a 12-volt battery. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, well. if you want any sort of social life, um, and any sort of interaction, have a family, a career, then it, it needs to just be an escape. It needs to be a vacation. It can't right. be your life. Not that, like you say, people have done that. They've made that their existence. Yeah. But there is a sacrifice to that. There is, yeah. And it's it's not worth the sacrifice. But the temporary holiday, the, the just the, you know, that... that fleeting, you know, weekend where you can pretend, mm-hmm. you know, that is the magic of Jimmy Buffett. Yep. So, okay. Well, um, my 11th of 12 songs on this two part episode. Uh, my next one comes from the album Florida days from 1986. Um, it is, it's an album that I, I generally ignore most of the time, frankly, but this one song this one song I always come back to, and that is When the Coast is Clear. Mm, yes. They're closing down the hangout. The air is turning cool. They're shutting off the super slide. The kids are back in school. The tourist traps are empty. They can see about. Almost like it used to be Before the circus came to town That's when it always happens The same time every year I come down to talk to me When the coast is clear You know, we've talked about the introspective mm-hmm. lyrics of Jimmy Buffett. We've talked about the reflective pieces and the semi-autobiographical and, and just the autobiographical, you know, um, experiences that he shares. I don't know that there is a song that is more on point when it comes to Jimmy Buffett and his reflections, just his reflective nature than When the Coast is Clear. It, it's so strange that you, again, picked this one right after mine because like uh, Tin Cup Chalice and uh, Hurricane Season, I see as kindred songs. Yeah. Uh, these two, I do. Yeah. In fact, it, I could have gone either way, Coast is Clear or I Found My Home because to me, the song says the same. Yeah. And and really, this song is about going home. Right. You know, it's about, you know, you argue, you hear it all the time, you can never go home again. But Jimmy Buffett made a practice of returning home every year. Mm-hmm. And he waited of course, until the coast was clear. Now, I love just the play of words there because, you know, when the coast is clear, it's not only is he talking about when he's not seen doing something, but he's talking literally the coast is empty. You know, the school is back in session. Uh, All the tourists go home. The tourists are gone. And the townies are left for the winter. Right. The the amusement parks are closed. And yeah, and it's, you know, but the imagery that he provides in this song of just the shutters on the concession stands and the 
you know, the the covering on the on the mini golf course and the super slide, you know, being shut down for the season. I mean, it's it's a very powerful imagery, and it provides this this idea in my mind of what seclusion really looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, it, Buffett is alone on the beach. Voluntary seclusion. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, Buffett is—he's truly alone, voluntarily. He's happy to be alone. He—he's chosen this moment to be alone, and you know, he says that's when he comes down to hold conversations with himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, hello, Mister Other Me. It's been a long, long time. We still don't get to have these chats. That in itself is a crime. You know, here's the thing. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> I really do. I, I would like to think everybody does, but I don't know that that's true. And I, I maybe I am just, you know. Well, there's a debate online about people having interior, in, internal monologues. Yeah. And apparently some people don't. Really? Yeah. See, I do it all the time. Yeah. And literally, I am an antagonist. I challenge myself and, and you know. I, I, oh, I berate myself all oh, the time. Oh, I do too. <laughs> and I'm my own worst critic. I'm not going to go in that direction. But I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm very critical of who I am. But I also take time, like Jimmy Buffett. Buffett. <laughs> Buffett. I have another drink there, Alan. <laughs> like Jimmy Buffett, you know, I laugh and smoke and cuss and joke, you know, and share a glass of wine. I mean, it's, there's a, there's a joy in just taking time to really self-discover, you know, to, to reflect and mm-hmm. to figure out and to learn from the experiences that you've shared and to actually talk about with yourself. I mean, journaling is the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, but, but just, you know, to, to figure out what you've learned and how that has changed you and where you are going now and how that is different from what you had originally intended. To me, those are the most powerful moments that a person can experience, you know, and reflection, here's the thing, reflection isn't something that you can multitask. And it can't be checked off of a to-do list for a lot of people because they can't schedule it, mm-hmm. you know? So, so you know, a lot of people think in these terms, you know, how could I possibly do it, right? For a lot of people, myself included a lot of times, taking time to sleep is difficult enough. So the thought of taking time to reflect when it's not conveniently coupled with another task, I mean, it almost seems absurd sometimes. But there's so much pressure to know what you're doing next, right? And there's, there's just no time to stop and live in the present for a lot of people, myself included. So what I've learned is that taking time to reflect really means slowing down enough to stop, to enjoy the adventure, figure out what it is that's really important to you, learn what you like and dislike, and how that has changed since the last time you've, you've you know, had this conversation with yourself, do something for yourself, you know? Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to relax and enjoy the little things in life. All of this reflection may actually help you plan for the future, right? I don't know. Reflection to me is, is imperative to make sense of your experiences, to gain more control over your emotions, your feelings, your responses, your behavior. And additionally, self-reflection leads to increased self-awareness and a deeper clarity and understanding of what impacts our own performance and overall progress. So... This song to me has always been very, it, it's, it is a song that I can relate to mm-hmm. because like Jimmy Buffett, I hold these conversations with myself regularly. I, I, it's one of the few things that I just, I make the effort, I make time, I force myself to stop. And I think that people who do are better for it. 
And I think that this song is, it's another one of those songs where Jimmy Buffett just provides the very best advice. You know, just stop what you're doing. You know, quit living in the past, quit looking to the future, be in the moment. You know, it's, it's you know, the present is, it's called the present because it, it's a gift and we neglect it and we avoid it and we forget about it and we, I don't know, I, I feel like Jimmy Buffett's persona, you know, the lifestyle that he, he represented, it's all about living in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the reasons that I am so drawn to his music is because without him, I don't know that I would have taken as much time through the years to appreciate what I have, where I am, and where I've been, and how all that explains in real time where I want to go next. So that makes sense. You yeah. know, when the coast is clear, it, it, it's just it's, lot, it's that, another one of those important songs. Cup Child, all those songs are very similar in that same theme, but yeah. um, from different perspectives. Yeah, very good. All right, my last pick. Um, if I if I didn't pick Margaritaville, you know, yeah, you, you need to pick Margaritaville. It has to be on here. Yeah, um, if you hadn't, I would have. Nibbling on sponge cake, watching the sun bake. All of those tourists covered with oil Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Smell those shrimp there beginning to boil Wasting a masterpiece he encapsulates the entire culture the jimmy buffett culture in just a few verses and a course and we already talked about how difficult that can be right uh, not only does he present a wider image uh, from a couple of verses he, he launches an entire movement an entire uh <laughs> corporate entity right from these four four verses and there is a fifth uh what the, the lost verse? There's three, and the fourth is oh, the, the fourth verse. is the yes, lost yes, verse. So I'm got saying it. four, but yeah, got, got it. Yeah, there's really three on, on the original recording. That's but right. Live versions have the lost. Verse. That's right. Um, but in, yeah, he so he launches you know summer tours filled with parrot heads drinking land shark beer with fins on their heads, uh, a successful restaurant chain as we talked about. And by the way, the Las Vegas site. Do you know that has the distinction of being the most successful restaurant in the country? The Las Vegas Margaritaville. I've been there. I've, I've, I've been there yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, most successful restaurant in the country. Yeah. I didn't eat there, but I did drink there. <laughs> so He's got books. He's got clothes. Satellite radio. We've, we've gone over this. And I guess I'm kind of retreading because I've already talked about a lot of this. But um, I, I don't see it as a critical thing that he is so commercial because that is what Jimmy Buffett is, is finding that direct connection to his fans. Uh, I'm not saying that he doesn't enjoy the, didn't enjoy the, the money that he made. Um, and, and that's fine. That's good. But I, I, I don't think it has to be one or the other, right? There's this face dichotomy that either you're an artist and you're pure and you don't care about money 
or you just sell out and you just don't care what you're offering up as long as people are willing to buy it. That's a false dichotomy, and, and Buffett's right in the middle there. There's a true artistry to what he does, but he also understands how important it is that he connects to his fans. Right. And that it's not that he's, he's just doing what his fans want as much as his fans want what he does. And that's what that makes was, it okay. That was really well said. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. Um, and, and as you mentioned, how many bands have created such a legacy? Other than the Grateful Dead, from a live sense, yeah, I can't think of any. And that's a testament to something. It's more than just record sales. It's more than just whatever's hip at the moment. Uh, you've gotten deep down into these people's psyches, mm-hmm. and you've helped them along in their journey. And it all started with with Margaritaville. So I end my list with this song, an example of, of inspiring, you know, all inspiring lyricists and poets. Um, they, they've made magic out of just, just a little bit. Um, it's like the Big Bang, you know. These artists can make a seed, and then when you take that seed, it just explodes um, into something. Um, the, as I mentioned before, the song was rightfully included in the Grammy Hall of Fame for its cultural and historical significance in 2016. One of the very few awards Jimmy Buffett ever won. As I said before, he never broke ground in popular music, never had a top 10 hit on Billboard. Well, you said number eight was Margaretville. I thought that was yeah, 12. So he had one top eight. 10 yep. hit, but no number ones. Um, probably may never be inducted in the Rock Hall, right? That's debatable. But Jimmy Buffett helped millions of people cope with life's rough waters by giving us that special island to visit when we just need to get away. Uh, like you just mentioned, making us slow down, making us take stock of what we have. Yep. Uh, reveling in the... The joy. So many songs are dark, and it's about dealing with the trauma. But Buffett has so many songs about being appreciative of what you have. Yep. And reveling in the joys and successes that you do have and what makes life great. Everything you just said, I, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, that that's the reason we, we were drawn to his music. That is the reason we revered him so much. That is, that's the reason we're paying tribute to the man today. But, you know, Margaritaville is such an interesting song too it it the song almost seems too unassuming to be a song to launch an empire yeah <laughs> you know the vibe is blissfully mellow and the melody never pushes too hard the lyrical details are so carefully rendered they they appear conjured not written and and the vaguely caribbean breeze that blows through the song is so airy that it it suggests a world without worry whereas the song is actually about a drunk coming to the realization that his loneliness might be his own damn fault <laughs> it's it, it's a subtle detail but one that gives the song an emotional depth the chain restaurants and retirement community is named margaritaville can't quite wash away you know margaritaville itself it simply feels like a day in the life of the guy from the title track you know changes in latitudes really it's easy to forget that it's a song from the perspective of a damaged dude with a hole in his soul who's found a way to numb the pain especially when the production leans hard into the Caribbean vibe. But that's really the key to Buffett, I think. I mean, when he went upbeat, you know, the upbeat musicality, it all mitigates depression and dissolution. You know, it, it's the alchemy at the heart of his best work. And I think that realistically, you know, there will never be another Jimmy Buffett. And Margaritaville, that state of mind is one to be treasured. I think that everybody... Everybody who gives Buffett a chance is going to find that the escape is well worth the investment. All right. Well, that takes me to my final song. Uh, It is from the 1976 album Havana Day Dreamin', and it is titled Defying Gravity. I live on a big round ball 
Just a quick word about the album, though. Havana Day Dreamin' was Buffett's sixth studio album for MCA. And really, it is the stuff of legend. Uh, The album's name was originally to have been Kick It In Second Wind and was to have included the songs Please Take Your Drunken 15-Year-Old Girlfriend Home, (laughs) Train to Dixieland, and Wonder Why You Ever Go Home, as well as a different version of Kick It In Second Wind. Instead, these songs were replaced with Woman Going Crazy on Caroline Street, Havana Day Dreamin', and Clichés. Wonder Why You Ever Go Home was rewritten and re-recorded as Wonder Why We We Ever Go Home for release on Buffett's next album, Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes. Several rare versions of this album exist. Uh, These have altered song ordering and, Hmm. and contain two songs that were deleted from the final release. Please take your drunken 15-year-old girlfriend home. That's and, problematic. <laughs> and it is. And Train to Dixieland are actually on some versions of this album. Interesting. Um, a third song that is rumored to exist, titled We've Been Taken to the Cleaners and I Already Had My Shirts Done, is likely apocryphal. Um, as a, No known recording of it exists, uh, whereas the other two tracks are fairly easy to find in Buffett trading circles. Um And then the fourth track on side one is The Captain and the Kid. It's a different version of the song than was previously recorded for the 1970 album Down to Earth on the now defunct Barnaby label. Uh, Another version of the track is also found on the 2002 album Meet Me in Margaritaville, The Ultimate Collection, making The Captain and the Kid one of only two Buffett songs with three studio versions. Hmm. The other one is In the Shelter. Okay, yeah. most of the songs on Havana Daydreaming were, were written or co-written by Buffett. Two of his future wife, Jane Slagsville. Uh, other songs include Big Rig, written by Coral Reefer, Greg Fingers Taylor, and This Hotel Room by Steve Goodman, who also co-wrote Woman Going Crazy. He's written a lot with Caroline Buffett. Street with yeah. Buffett, yeah. And in fact, uh, God's Own Drunk, which is, remains one of my ultimate favorites, and that's that was a Steve Goodman song as well. Um the album also contains a remake of Jesse Winchester's Defying Gravity, uh, which, again, is my last selection for this mixtape. It was the first of several Winchester songs that Buffett would record over his career. Um, Defying Gravity, it, it's such a simple song with, with simple lyrics, but it, it's always moved me. Uh, Emmy Lou Harris was the first to cover the song in 1978, and her version remains the best known. But I much prefer Buffett's version to Winchester's original or Harris's cover. Buffett, Buffett adds harmonica and piano to the track. And his delivery just feels more earnest, more sincere. There's no attempt to dress the song unnecessarily with overreaching vocals. And the song is better for it. 
the song reminds me of Long Nights, honestly. And this, this is why I included it. It reminds me of Long Nights philosophizing over coffee at Denny's. We spent a lot of hours doing that. We did. I mean, we spent so We thought we were so... I, I don't know. I think we were, we were young and naive and probably a bit... Uh, you know, but as Churchill said, that's where that, we should have been. Yeah, so. absolutely. But we did. We thought we were great philosophers, <laughs> I think. Philosopher of kings of Denny's. Yes, yes. And Claire, the waitress, would sit down and join us at and times. And Claire, the waitress. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but we spent so many t- so many nights, like two, three in the morning. These were school nights, by mm-hmm. the way, I might add. Oh, yeah. Um, but we, we would stay there until two, three in the morning, you know, drinking coffee and, and asking great and deep questions of life. You know, <laughs> I treasure those days. I do. And, and the song, it's just a reminder of, of those late night conversations. You know, it's also a fitting end to a tribute to Buffett. Uh, you know, he sings, I live on a big round ball. I never do dream I may fall. And even the high must lay low. But when I do fall, I will be glad to go. Yes, when I do fall, I will be glad to go. So, I don't know. As, as I was preparing for the list, this was not originally on my, my list of 12. But I thought, is there a more poignant way to end this mixtape than with Buffett's own words? He didn't write them when right, Chester right, right, did. Right. But, you know, when I do fall, I'll be glad to go. That paired with, you know... I'd rather die while I'm living than live while I'm dead. It's, you know, Buffett, Buffett lived a good life, you know, and he, I I would like to think that this is a man who had no regrets. I'm sure he did. We all do. But again, as I said, you know, in part one, this was a man who seemingly could do anything, you know, that he set his mind to. And I don't know that every report I've ever read by anybody who knew him whether they were a, a another celebrity or just you know the average fan, everyone who met Jimmy Buffett has always reported that he was kind, he was congenial, he was welcoming, he was happy, he was you know he he was just someone who you longed to be around to spend time with, and he you know he loved people, he loved telling stories and sharing experiences and you know. He invited everybody in, you know? So I'd like to think that he died with no regrets. And, you know, if this line holds true, and I do fall, I'll be glad to go, he was in pain, he was suffering, he was sick for a while. I know his fans are not happy. <laughs> They're not glad to see him go. But I hope that he, uh, you know, at the end, you know, had a, had a peaceful ending, but also was content. With, with life's choices and well well said let's do our last with, shot with, with on that, that yeah with, now I ran out a little bit so you only get a mini shot on that one that's okay because we're at the bottom of the bottle but there you go cheers we are good to Jimmy L'chaim uh, it's probably better that I had the, the smaller shot <laughs> I had to drive home um, hopefully hopefully we so, don't have to do another one of these anytime soon no but the I don't know they always go in threes man so let's hope that uh, whoever number two and number three is that they don't not that I want to see anyone go but let's hope they're not personally meaningful and relevant to us that's what I mean I mean I assume uh, there'll be a Billy Joel and a Bruce Springsteen episode well, at some point in the future but hopefully no if I had soon. to if I had to guess I would think Billy's gonna go next I, I could be wrong. Springsteen just feels, in my mind, like he's 
in a better state. Well, yeah, the guy's like perpetually 25 yeah. physically. And and Joel, you know, never found a drink he didn't like. So That also is true. But um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I thought Jimmy would be the first to go. Honestly, I don't know who I. No, I, I, I would have said Billy just because. Yeah, I would have too. The drinking, but again, I nobody knew about the cancer because you know he never, never talked about but it. But otherwise, he kept himself in shape. He did. He looked good. I mean, if if you know, talking about Billy Joel and you know his his sobriety, if you're talking about a man who I thought you know the liver would come back to haunt him, you know all all signs point to Buffett. But again, Buffett did not live a Buffett lifestyle in the last like. 30 years right, right you know right. not since the mid 80s so i don't know it's it's been eye-opening since saturday morning so was not expecting any of this to happen well we have a uh, need to get an order for this we do legacy mixtape and um um thank you folks who stayed with us um you know through this because a lot of it was pretty indulgent but that we said from the outset this was going to be a personal episode and we thought the best way to explore these songs and, and what Buffett meant to us was to kind of go through our personal favorites. So um, we're going to take a, a look at these songs and come up with an order, and we will be right back after this. And we're back, and we have a sequence for you. Alan? We do. Side A, we begin track one with Barometer Soup, followed by Last Mango in Paris, that is followed by changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes, then trying to reason with hurricane season. Grapefruit, juicy fruit is next, followed by growing older but not up. Tin cup chalice, then 12 volt man, followed by he went to Paris. That is followed by come Monday, when the coast is clear, and we end side A with Jolly Singh. Side B, we begin with Margaritaville. Followed by One Particular Harbor, then Love and Luck, followed by Schoolboy Heart, Far Side of the World, then Son of a Son of a Sailor, Distantly in Love, Love in the Library, I Have Found Me a Home, then A Pirate Looks at Forty, followed by The Night I Painted the Sky, and we end our mixtape with Defying Gravity. I think we did pretty well I representing think, the legacy of Jimmy Buffett. I think we did too. I mean, it, it is slower. I am curious, just just uh, as an aside, if we were under a different context and we were just, um, you know, sharing songs that we feel represent Buffett's legacy in all facets, what were, I don't know, two or three of his more upbeat tunes that you would have included? I mean, there are some obvious choices like like boat drinks and and pencil thin mustache, but then there's like the weather's here, wish you were beautiful. Yep. Um, there's trying to think here. Um, what else would I have included? Coconut Telegraph. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, there, there are a lot of good faster songs. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I would have included Gypsies in the Palace. Um, definitely Fins. 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 Yeah, of course. Fins. Would've, volcano. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would have loved to have included my. Uh, my head hurts, my feet stink, and I, I don't, don't love Jesus. Jesus. I consider that. I love that song. Right. I always have. Um, what's another good one? Um, oh, there's so many good choices. It's 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 hard, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I so many. There's so know? many. There, there are. There really there are. are. I um. I don't know. It would have been interesting to do a a mixtape artist spotlight of Jimmy Buffett under different circumstances but I think we I think we paid a very 
emotional tribute. I think the songs are perfect. So hopefully our, our listeners agree, you know. Um, all right. So next week we are going to, uh, not, not next week, two weeks from two now. Two weeks, yeah. Two, two weeks, weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Okay. I forget about how I... Yeah, we've restructured. <laughs> we're only, what? how, how far are we? Um, May, June, July, August, <laughs> September. Um, yeah, we're only six months into the season and I still haven't figured out our new format. Uh, in two weeks, we are going to uh, return with our covers part two. Uh, which was originally scheduled for September. And, of course, we moved it back, given the timely passing of Jimmy Buffett. Um, Then, in November, we will bring you the worst songs of all time. And after that, it'll be December and time for our next holiday episode. So um, we're, we're currently talking with our buddy Zabe, trying to see if we can't arrange for him to return for another, uh, another go at sharing a, a playlist among three of us. Yeah, he shared a great story. Uh, he was at a podcast convention out west and, yeah. and ran into somebody that was a listener of our show. So that that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's, I loved it. I mean, it, it, I know that we have listeners, you know. I, our statistics show that people listen to our, our podcast. And in fact, our numbers are consistent and we can't thank you enough for it. But I still, sometimes in my mind, I... I believe that it's you know bots and we're you know, we don't we don't actually have the following that uh the number suggests but yeah um, no, i mean everything that i hear it's it's legit i mean i don't know if i told you um dan from from high school you remember dan yeah john's friend yeah he was he was in town i, I ran into him and he said yeah he lives in, in new hampshire or vermont vermont and he said someone in his office was listening to us so that's, <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool that's wild you yeah. know I he's just, like i know those guys that's so cool um Again, please reach out, uh, start a conversation with us. If you have ideas for a future episode, uh, we'd love to hear. Um, we do have episodes in the planning uh, that have been suggested by by listeners. Don't think that we've discarded your suggestions. We we haven't. Um, and of course, we uh, you know we we just love when our audience you know shares their feedback. It's really important to us. We. We know you're listening, but we'd love to know how we can improve. And eventually we'll do something with the Patreon account, I would assume, maybe. Um, but that remains to be seen. TikTok as well. We've talked about TikTok and still have not done anything with that. But um, I don't know. We're trying to continue to, to build our presence on social media. And um, we hope you're going to stick around and join us for the ride. So another shout out to our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. Um Please look her up for your painting needs, both inside and outside your home. She does an incredible job. Let her know that Dave and Al sent you. That's all I that's got. It. Yeah. Right. Well, that's all for this time. Hot Funk, Cool Punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memory awaits next month. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape 
phonograph and dual cassette before you could get everything on the internet but some things ain't made it there yet mixtape line in line out if you don't have a line hold the recorder to the speaker turn the volume to nine here's an accidental slice of time Turn the volume to nine 